We're diving back into the Old Testament today, so if you have your Bibles and want to turn there, we're all the way back in the second book of the Bible, Exodus. And, ah, you got to look at Romans last week. I'm kind of jealous, but we get to look at Exodus, and it's amazing. And I hope that you, you, you were struck by it, but, but right away, I feel like, as we go back into the Old Testament, I feel like I got to pause for a minute and kind of tell you, well, why are we doing this? One of the best ways I think about, because my, my background's medicine, is, is, you know, we take principles a lot and we just twist them up. So, for example, let me give you one, one fun example. Here's one. Do you know that for hundreds, thousands of years, people have been trying to cure people who, have, who, who feel ill, who feel badly, who feel down, who feel depressed? So, like, 200, 300 years ago, what you did was trepanation. If you heard of that, it's really fun. You put a hole in someone's head to drain out the bad humor. Now, there's reasons to put holes in people's head, but that's not one of them. You can find great pictures online. Don't Google right now. There's also, you know, so I said, well, we're really gonna, what we're going to try and do, and there's a medical therapy people did, is you put people in a chair that spun, and you put it on spin for a while till they went unconscious to try and spin out the bad stuff, you know, centrifuge type thing. Did that work? I don't know, but they did it. They do crazy things, right? People do, you know, up until 1940s, the, the, 1940s, that's like last century. I, I kind of remember, that's like, uh, the, people would say that one of the best therapies for your illness is radioactive water. Go ahead, drink some. No, thank you. Why do we do those sorts of things? What, what, are, what are we thinking when we start doing these things? It's a little bit like bloodletting, right? Oh, you're sick. Let me go ahead and drain you of blood to get rid of the ill humor. Okay, you died of no blood in your... <laughs> what? It's because it's based on a principle and the principle wasn't right. Because we think we're trying to do something it's not quite right. Because we think, well, you know what? What I got to do is get rid of whatever's bad inside of me and I can do that by these variety of, of mechanisms and it's not quite right. We do it with our Christianity too, right? I mean, I don't know what people are going to look back 100 years from now and say what dumb things we were doing in the year 2022, but there will be some. My concern, and what I hope you hit today, is that we look at this precious word of God, and we bring our own lenses, and we make our own interpretations, but we're trying to make sure that we're grounded in the right things, the most important pieces. So as we've gone back to Exodus and we see, oh, Exodus, it's about God delivering his people. But it's not just about deliverance, right? In fact, the emphasis really is God dwelling with his people. He grabs his people and he's going to be among them. You say, what does it mean for, I mean, for God to dwell among his people? What does it look like? And, so, and, and, and I, I'm thinking what the world thinks. That's my presupposition. God dwells, God is with me, God, God is with us when we're doing good things, when we're doing what he says, when we're, like, when we're, we're, we're more good than bad. And we start working towards that end to make us all into a people who do the right stuff so God will, will, will be with us. So super helpful as we start to go through Exodus, and we have, right? We've been through this act of God that rescued his people. They didn't 
They didn't free themselves. God did. He brought them through the, 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 the sea. There's absolute miracle. And then he brings his own people out and he gives them this precious law. And we looked at the law. And not as a, a, a God's commands being his enablements, but this incredible thing that they're impossibilities. Everything pointing forward to this reality, this main piece that you and I get, that our amazing God rescues us. He makes a way to dwell with us. It's all about him. And we even have a name, because I'm a New Testament Christian, Jesus Christ. He is the way. Everything is about pointing forward to him. And so we begin to look at the tabernacle, the way God said, I'm going to dwell here. And he made this very holy, special room, the most holy place that only his ark would be there, the reminder of the covenant he had with them, but on top of it, a mercy seat. It's going to be all mercy. God's going to speak from there. Not going to be you at all. You can't even go in there, it's so holy, because anyone who would approach God dies. So you have this room that no one can, and then outside that room you have these two pieces of furniture that we've looked at, right? The the bread of the presence, this bread of life. Gee, I wonder who that's referring to. And then you have this this amazing lamp with the the, the light that would would go out, the only source of light in there, representing the tree of life, but also the light of the world. (laughs) Gee, I wonder who that represents. Over and over, right? So all these things. Even the veil that kept, kept the, the holy God inside and, and even the priests as holy as you get for human beings to go into that space that, that there's, you couldn't get in. And we looked at that and, and we looked at the priests themselves. Remember? A few weeks ago, it was just like, oh yeah, the priest has got to layer up like he's going into radioactive nuclear whatever. Because you don't just wander into the presence of God. And so he would have to put blood on himself and blood on the stamp, atonement and offerings. And you take this blood to get into God's presence. It took this atoning blood. I wonder what that refers to. <laughs> who died on a cross? Whose blood got right? All pointing forward to a savior who would come and make a way and rip the veil in two and make a way that we could actually be with God. The defining principle, the message, the gospel is that Jesus Christ has done it all. Say, well, I want to work out of that. I want to to understand that. How does God really work through these things? What do I do as a Christian? Do you know how to default back to? Back to the wrong principles again, like I want to drill a hole in my head. Back to, man, God's probably really mad at me. I I didn't do something today, right? Instead, we have this to keep us pushing us towards Jesus and to refresh us again in the hope that we really have, no matter what your day has been like, no matter what your life looks like right this minute, Jesus Christ has paid for you. He's so excitedly for you. Will you receive him? And the message that we have, even my role, here I am proclaiming. I'm not a priest, right? A priest isn't a proclaimer. I've got a message to proclaim because of this. We do, all of us do. So we go into Exodus today, into this place, and, and, and we have we've have this. And what I really wanted to think about is, is what's God's way? I want to encourage you with this. Because it's like going upside down on the roller coaster. That just can't be right. It just doesn't seem like that should be the way. 
And yet all of these pieces we start to get in our heart where God gives us these images and he gives us these pieces to reassure us, to ground us, to put our feet down, to say, no, this is the way. His name is Jesus. The way, the truth, and the life. And, and Exodus doesn't like give us some esoteric weird things that we just can't understand. No, they're images pointing forward to Jesus. Unless... Unless you start pulling again from this wrong stuff and go back to thinking wrongly about it. I don't want to help you not to do that. Okay, so we talked about priests, right? Especially the high priest. And this is where we left off last time, and even in chapter 29, and that he had to cover himself, this multi-layered representative sprinkled with blood. You don't get to go in to God's presence, the high priest, just once a year. But, but they could go into the outer holy room if they'd been prepped right. And the question is, what are they to do? Like, are they to do stuff? So they're not instructing. What they're really doing, we saw, is they're overseeing the death of all these animals. All this blood, all these offerings and sin offerings and things. They're going to oversee that. But then there's something special that they get to do. By the way, before I jump in, we're going to jump into Exodus. But before we do, you realize that this whole piece we're talking about, all of Exodus in this setup for God to dwell among his people, is all these things around how they're not keeping the law. They wouldn't need to make sacrifices if they were good, doing normal people. They got to make sin offerings. What sin? Not keeping the law. All the stuff they're doing, all the ways that God's setting up, all these pictures for you and I are all around this reality that you don't keep the law. God's people don't keep the law. They should. The law's great. God's commands aren't his enablements. They're impossibilities. Because I'm the problem. And yet we have here. So what we have is we pick up in chapter 30 is something out of order. And if you noticed, when we went through and God set up his tabernacle and he, he said, okay, well, let me talk about the Ark of the Covenant in the special holy room. And then we're going to talk about the next room and there's three pieces of furniture. And then he only talked about two of them. And he went and talked about the priests and what the priests are going to do. He went and talked about other things. And now today he comes back to the thing that the priest is going to do mostly. This one thing. So here we are in the tabernacle. Don't get lost on me. We're, just, we're not going back into all the pieces again. I just want to talk about one thing we get to talk about. Which is, which is the smell. And what the priest does. It's smelly. Not like old socks, like a good smell. A fragrant smell. It's about incense. So here we are, chapter 30. Look with me. Verse 1 says this. God, this is God speaking to Moses. And Moses is writing it down. He says, you shall make an altar on which to burn incense. You shall make it of acacia wood. A cubit shall be its length and a cubit its breadth. It shall be square, and two cubits shall be its height, and horns shall be one piece of it. You shall overlay it with, with pure gold, its top and around its sides and its horns. You shall make a model, a molding, a molding of gold around it. And you shall make two golden rings for it, and under its molding on two opposite sides of it you shall make them, for they shall be holders for poles with which to carry it. They weren't supposed to carry it um, just with their hands. You shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. 
Okay, so all of a sudden, and, and again, if you followed, you've followed, you've seen the transition. We started with the most holy. This is like pure gold over here. And then we went gold for the most holy. But once we got outside, we went to bronze. But now we're back to gold. Why? Because we're back inside. There's this special altar, and it's directly in line with the bronze altar outside that's getting all the animals killed. But inside, there's this special small one. It's only a foot and a half by foot and a half by, it's like a table next to your bed. Three feet tall. It's a little square thing. Covered with gold. Small horns on it. But the most important thing is where it is. Where it is. You shall put it in front of the veil that's above the ark of the testimony. In front of the mercy seat that's above the testimony where I will meet with you. And Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it every morning when he dresses the lamps. He shall burn it. And when Aaron sets up the lamps at twilight, he shall burn it. A regular incense offering before Yahweh throughout your generations. Okay, so here it is. An altar of incense. Say, well, that doesn't seem very special. No, but every morning and every evening for every day throughout all your generations, God says, this is what the high priest is going to do. He's going to get ready, get all of his stuff on. He's going to sprinkle the blood so he can go in. He's going to come in. He's going to light a little incense. And he's going to leave. And at nighttime, he's going to come in. Get all ready, get all dressed up. Come on in. Light a little incense. Don't let the fire go out. Leave. Twice, right? So it's always, every day, all that, that, that's it. This is one of the main duties of the priest. It's left it to the end to kind of emphasize this is what he's going to do. This is, this is my main role for him that's constantly happening. It's, it's not, and by the way, if you think about it for five seconds, it starts to get even weirder. Why? Because he's going to go in there and light incense and leave. Who smells it? The other priests? No. The people? No. It just happens inside. Like goes and goes away. And have you ever seen incense? Have you seen it wafted? It's like sometimes people carry it with a little sensor and it wafts back and forth. It's like a little smoke. It, it comes, but then it kind of is gone. It's like almost insubstantial. It's like not very, it's, it's almost like this is, this is the main role is to do this sort of, this is kind of nothing. Right? So this inner room that, and and it's so important, the the person that actually gets the incense is who? Well, that would be God. His presence is in there. So, but it's outside, it's in this other room. No, it said, what's going to pierce the veil? What's going to fill the entire tent? This incense, right? So so that's that's the thing that's about incense. It's kind of interesting, is that smells go everywhere. I know that because sometimes my wife cooks something in the kitchen and I'm upstairs and I can tell what it is. Right? Because the smell comes up. The smell like goes through. I don't know how it gets through the walls. No, I didn't go through the wall. I get it. It came through the air, right? But that tent had an air, and it just covered the veil. And so the incense that was right outside where God dwelt, you couldn't even go in there, but they would like light the incense, and the smoke would come up, and the smell would kind of perfume, and it would like drift on over through the veil into where God was. This is really true. If you look at Hebrews chapter 9, we won't go there right now, but, but, but it's so important to the author of Hebrews that God smells this stuff that he says, well, that gold, the, 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 the incense is rising inside the holy of holies, inside God's presence. 
Okay, so we've established that, okay? So this is God's the one who, who, who does it. It's, it's not very substantial. I, I think that's important that there's, there's not a lot going on there. Though. In fact, I know it is because this is what the text says. You shall not offer unauthorized incense on it or a burnt offering or a grain offering. You shall not pour a drink offering on it. You don't do transactions there. You don't do things there. The main role of the priest is not to go get it done to get rid of sin. The main role of the priest is coming here and lighting a little incense that's going to drift into my presence. That's, that's the thing, right? By the way, don't you dare do anything else. Don't get creative. Don't decide God would prefer a different smell today. Don't like make it about you. And that's the smell then that would go into the Holy of Holies. Not accomplishing, just acknowledging this central power, the only hope, the only action. We've done inside where they can't even go every day, every day, repeating this seemingly pointless exercise. And, and, and if there's one link that people often make, it's the prayer for this stuff. Notice that the priest isn't necessarily praying, although the habit was that later on they would do that. But the, the idea was the incense represents prayer. Prayer that kind of goes through the veil. We can't be in God's presence around holy enough, but, but, but prayer. I say that because, in, for example, in Psalm 141, it says, boy, let my prayer be counted as incense. Or, or later on in, in Revelation, I'll put this one up. It says, uh, oh, did I, I'm skipping that for a second. Let me make sure. Oh, did it not make it? It's okay. In Revelation chapter 8, it's right there. Another angel comes and he stands at this altar, this throne room where Jesus is, and, and he was given incense to offer. And it says, with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God in the hand of the angel. So this idea that our prayers are kind of like that, that they, they, they go through the veil, they, they get before God. That's great. Because then you think, okay, finally, Dax, you've given me something to do. Let's pray. Let's make a lot of incense for God. We'll be praying. And that sounds like, again, what I'm going to do, I'm going back to task. This is not task. This is, this is telling you what God is having the, the, the priest do because this is reality. Right? The reality is it's not directive that this is beautiful to God. It's only really seen, heard, smelled by him. That It's not dispositive. It's not affecting him. It's not telling him what to do. It's not giving him instructions. There's not special pleadings to say, let's get something done. This is like, oh, you are holy God. It's like humbling. The reality is to have the most consecrated, most holy human being, the representative of all Israel with their names on his chest, and he goes into the presence, the closest that he can on a daily basis, because only once a year he goes any further, and he goes to the closest point he can, and what he does is light a little incense and then go away. It's an acknowledgement that I can barely even be here. I'm nothing. I got nothing. I'm, I'm doing this as you said because you're the director and, and, and here's the Lord who smells and, 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 and sees and, and, and is everything. 
Say, well, I thought prayer was my part and how we get things done. And instead, it's just a pleasant aroma. It's almost a distraction. There's all those people out there. They're doing evil and sin and wrongness. And and the prayer is a sweet aroma of, no, uh, we humble ourselves before you, God. You're the one. You're our only hope. You establish righteousness, not us. It didn't take long for them to mess this up, by the way. Pretty soon they're offering strange incense in Leviticus. Aaron's kids are dead. God's serious. These pictures, these pictures of you don't do anything and he's the only one who does it. Super serious. Back to the text, verse 10. Verse 10 says, Aaron doesn't want to move. Come back. There it is. Aaron shall make atonement on its horns once a year. With the blood of the sin offering of atonement, he shall make atonement for it once in the year throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. So even for this, even for this altar to exist there, even for the priest to have something to do to go light a little incense on it, it, it had once a year to be covered with blood, atoned for allowing you to, 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 to tend it, and you have to pay, sprinkled, a sin offering because you don't do it right, but you don't do the offering there. You just do the offering outside where these, is more common, where death happened, and you bring it in, and you sprinkle it on so that, that it's okay for you to do this. See how humbling this would be? We make it into ritual, and we make it into ritual, we make it into something like, oh, this is really special and good. No, no, this is humbling. This is, this is the statement from God that you, you don't deserve to be in his presence. You can't come in. But I want to be with you, and so I'm making a way. What's the way? You go kill an animal, and, and you slice its throat, and you drain its blood, and you bring the blood in, and you sprinkle it around so, 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 that, so that it covers and allows for you to even be near God. Well, I know what my flesh says to that. Fine. Fine. I don't, I don't want to kill any animals. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> See how stupid that is? Because we're talking about reality. What's reality? There is a God. What's God? He's the most holy thing you've ever known. What's the only way you're going to be in his presence? It's going to take blood. It's humbling. I don't deserve ever to be around him. No one deserves ever to be around him. We, we, let's look at atonement a little bit more because the text does. The text says not, it's not just about um, the priest not really having a ton to do and it, it being humbling almost. Their action is to light a little smoke. But, but, but the reality is here is that ransom is what's happened for you and me. That's atonement. And he, he keeps talking about it. So uh, even for the normal person, Yahweh said to Moses, when you take the census of the people of Israel, then each shall give a ransom for his life to Yahweh. When you number them, that there be no plague among them when you number them. So, so you say, okay, well, why did he switch things like that? Because he's talking about atonement. No, he's not talking about atonement. He said, now he's talking about a, the, the census tax. And maybe even in your Bible, if you have little guidelines, it'll say census tax. But this is, if you look at it, it's not a tax. Not in the way you think. I know taxes. You've got to pay money every so often to support something, you know, support the government. So, well, God's thing support the government. No, look, what he's after is, whenever I count you, you've got to pay a ransom. You need to remember, you don't deserve to be alive. 
Right? That, that's what this means. So that plague doesn't strike you. Every single one of you is God, he says. And, and I'm the owner. And you don't just get to count. You don't get to look at my stuff. When you come in, you've got to be extra like careful that you're even doing that. If you remember later on, David's going to make a count. Remember what happens? Plague breaks out. Because the people aren't David's. We got a king. We're God. So, so, so uh, what, I'm, what I'm after is everybody's got to pay a little bit, it says. So that's just each one who's numbered in the census shall give this half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The shekel is 20 geras. Half a shekel is an offering to Yahweh. Everyone who's numbered in the census from 20 years old and upward shall give Yahweh's offering. So there you are. <laughs> As you're numbered, you've got to remember, even if you're not a priest, I don't even deserve to be alive. So we're going to charge everybody. It's, it's five bucks or ten bucks. We won't really know exactly what the amount is, but it wasn't a lot of money. Every single person had to pay a little bit of money. And it wasn't about gathering the money. It wasn't, about, oh, wow, that's going to be five dollars from everybody. That's going to be a lot of money. No, it's about remembering who you are. The rich shall not give more, the poor shall not give less than the half shekel when you give Yahweh's offering to make atonement for your lives. You shall take the atonement money from the people of Israel. You shall give it for the service of the tent of meeting that it may bring the people of Israel to remembrance before Yahweh so as to make atonement for your lives. The whole idea is you need atonement. Well, I haven't done anything bad this year. I don't need atonement. I'm going to skip this silly tax. No, that's such the terrible thing to say, right? The whole idea for your whole life is that you don't deserve to be alive. He who sins shall die. And so for God's people, he set up this piece where it's not about the money. It's not about getting more from the rich and less from the poor. It's not about that. It's about every single person who has the gift of life from me, who is my person. That I, I want you to remember you're atoned for. You need atonement. And it's not that the five bucks brings atonement. It brings to mind that this is, oh, the position I'm in, which is a lowly position. It is. That, that's what's going on. Okay. So far, we've had the really important work of the priest which is to every single day go in the morning and night and the high priest get all dressed up and go in there and light a little incense and leave. And, and then we've got this idea of atonement, ransom, because really every single person doesn't deserve to be alive. Boy, this is making me feel good this morning, Dax. Thank you. <laughs> all right. Let's look at the rest of the chapter. And then, and then I want to bring a couple things out for you. So the next piece there is made holy made holy. And here it is. Yahweh said to Moses, you shall also make a basin of bronze with a stand of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar. You shall put water in it with which Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet. When they go to the tent of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister, to burn a food offering to Yahweh, they shall wash with water so that they may not die. They shall wash their hands and their feet so they may not die. It shall be a statute forever to them, even to, to him and to his offspring throughout their generations. This is a statute forever. Make sure you wash. My grandma would be really happy at this point. Make sure you wash your hands and feet 
This is like a restaurant thing, right? Man, we're going to make sure that it's clean. And that. No, that's not this at all. Right? They were, when they went into the tabernacle, even if you just, even if you were clean, <coughs> you go wash your hands and wash your feet. It's symbolic, right? It, it, it's this piece pointing to the reality that they're not clean. And so God says, I'm going to provide a basin for you before you come into my presence. You're already covered with blood and sprinkled. You've already got your layers on. You're already like, like, like prepped up. And now what I want you to do is make sure you know even everything that you touch, you need to be cleaned. My feet are dirty. My hands are dirty. So, uh, if you're the priest, this is for the priest, right? It's not just that they didn't want to track dirt into the house, because if that was the case, make sure you sweep out the sanctuary once a day. You know, make sure you don't go to the bathroom before going and serving the Lord, because they use their hands for different things. That's that's not the idea. This is symbolic. To means to means every single time you come in, you wash again, or what, or you die. I just start getting wild. This is kind of scary stuff. By the way, praise God, I'm not one of these priests. I would forget. I forget to wash my hands. All of a sudden, you're dead. Okay, keep going. It says, now the rest of it's about the oil and the incense. So see this. The Lord said to Moses, take the finest spices of liquid mirth, 500 shekels, sweet-smelling cinnamon, half as much, 250, and 250 of aromatic cane, 500 of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hen of olive oil. That's, uh, yeah, a, a, a hen is... But, but people argue over it, but it's between three and eight gallons. So it's, it's quite a bit. You shall make these a sacred anointing oil blended by the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. It's like oil that you can anoint people with. With it, you shall anoint the tent of meeting, the ark of the testimony, and the table, and all the utensils, and the lampstand, and its utensils, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burning with all its utensils, and the basin in its stand. So you just go around, and you put oil on everything. You shall consecrate them that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them will become holy. Okay, again, you, you, you need to see this. It's, it's easy to kind of start thinking and get glazed and say, okay, well, they made oil and say, what, what's the oil and what is it and all the pieces and are they important and is the cinnamon important or is the, is the oil important? What's, no, 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 no. It's just God gives them specific instructions of something to do to symbolize something incredibly important. These things that get anointed, I am declaring holy. When they touch you or you touch them, you don't make them less holy because I have declared them holy. They make you holy. Again, totally backwards from my thinking. I don't even know how to understand it in any real way because to me, what I think about in every situation is uncleanness coming from my bad actions. Walk through this with me. Just understand it, right? I'm thinking that, that, that have you heard of germ theory? Germ theory is there's billions and billions of germs all over you. I know. Gross. And then if you go and you touch something, if I touch my Bible... I've transferred those germs to the Bible, right? They may not live very long. <coughs> Maybe now they'll live longer. But now if you went over and said, hey, would you like to read my Bible? Some of you would be like, after you wipe it down, I might. 
But most of you like, there's something there that's bad. And, 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 and what you do is you transfer badness to things. That's, that's the way things work. Contamination is the idea. You're going to contaminate something when you touch it. And here's God. He's saying the actual opposite from my stuff that I declare holy. It's like if I have germs all over my hand and I touch it, all of a sudden my germs go away. Whoa, that doesn't make sense. Is it an antibiotic? Is it radioactive? I start to think of ways I could make these, but the reality is it's just backward from my thinking. My thinking is, is that, that what, what I touch becomes bad. Instead, so it says, no, what I touch becomes good. We see this in Jesus' life, don't we? We see it all over. See, the woman, right, who touches Jesus' robe and all of a sudden she's cured. She didn't defile Jesus. Jesus made her cured because he's holy. And so you start to see those, this backwards kind of thinking is God says, this is what holiness is. It's me making you holy. Case in point, anointing oil. You put it on all these things and then when you touch those things, those are my holy. You don't, you, you won't mess it up. I am holy. It may kill you because it's so holy. You guys know the story of Uzzah, right? The guy touches the ark and, 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 and he dies. It's, he didn't contaminate the ark. The ark got him. So there, there, there you go. And it's the same thing with the incense. So here you are. You shall anoint Aaron and his sons, well, his priests too. They may serve me a priest. You shall say to the people of Israel, this shall be my holy anointing oil through your generation. It shall not be poured on the body of an ordinary person. You shall make it like no other like in composition. It is holy. It shall be holy to you. I'm making this. And what's important about it is don't just go throwing it out. Interesting. By the way, you put it on Aaron and he's holy. Is he holy because he was acting ethically? Is he holy because he was morally upstanding? Is he holy because he's doing things right? No, he's holy because the oil got on him. Right? That's the marker. Very interesting. What God declares holy, that makes it holy. And then he's marking it by this oil. And, and, and there are most holy. That means anything that touches them are holy. You can't contaminate my stuff. And so then you have anointing Aaron, and, and, and that's fine. And similar, the incense, right? Don't you dare make this stuff on your own, he says. Well, then it must be special stuff. No, he's just saying this marks out. I'm making a symbol for you of, what, of what, how you should think about me and holiness. I make you holy. Okay, the Lord said to Moses, take sweet spices, stactate, anika, and galbanum, sweet spices of pure frankincense, of each shall shall be an equal part, and make an incense, blended as by the perfumer, seasoned with salt, pure and holy. You shall beat some of it very small, put part of it before the testimony in the tent of meeting, where I shall meet with you. It shall be most holy for you. And the incense that you make shall be according to its composition. You shall not make for yourselves. It shall be for you holy to Yahweh. Whoever makes any like it to use as a perfume shall be cut off from my people. Okay, again, you're like, well, let me write those things down so I never buy a perfume that has those five ingredients. What were they again? Here's the answer. We don't really know. I mean, we know frankincense, but people argue. You can go and like read the different books about how people are arguing over what is this exactly. They knew. It wasn't about which ingredients. It was about God saying, when I made something special that's just for me, treat it as just for me. 
Don't go spreading it around. And this is holy. What, what, what's important about that? What do I need to know? God says, this is mine. This oil, this is my oil. This perfume, this is my incense. They're mine and I will do it my way and it will reflect what I want. That, that's what he does, right? Really interesting. Okay. The chapter ends there. But you've got to get this idea. And as we walk through these things, and you kind of can glaze, and go out these different topics, and do they really go together? And the, the reality is they do. God is finishing up what's going to happen in his tabernacle, in his sight. But you've got to understand how this impacts you and your relationship with God. Because it starts to reinforce certain ways that we think about what our relationship with God is. We're not ancient Israelites, and we are not high priests. We have one. But because of that, you and I say, well, you know, I'm going to take some principles from these things about how to serve God. That's okay. Just take the right ones. Mostly we say, well, this is going to help my Christian life. I'm going to start thinking about Christian living. And we mean how to be a good parent and, and a good spouse and a good worker and a good person and appropriate living. But in all of it, we never quite get out of this idea that we do this stuff so God's happy with me. My actions, my praxis, my behaviors, the things that I do in order to make sure God stays on my side. And if I, if I feel like things don't go well or I don't do it right or, man, I got frustrated or, or I, didn't, I didn't handle that relationship right or I really sinned there and I start thinking it affects my relationship with God. That's where this matters. We think our offerings, or our holiness, our right behaviors. We're in a fight then to establish right behaviors. Talk about where our society is going because this is the world. The world says, hey, it's all about what your right views are. And so then you make camps about people arguing over whether you should put a hole in someone's head or not. Whether you should drive electric cars or not. Whether you should try and save the planet. With, I mean, you start going into all these things, right? And Christians are no different we start arguing over things that, why? Because we think it's important to God. This is about our holiness, our sanctification. We've got to do these things right. But this presentation, this presentation in Exodus of God himself is so different, isn't it? Would you see that with me today? The, the, the law is given, the law is good, but you don't do it, it puts you in a position of supplication. We live in a spot of supplication. I live my Christian life knowing I don't deserve anything. But Dax, you, you got up early and prayed today. Yeah, fabulous. It's so good to get up early and pray. It's a balm to my soul. And, oh, I'm so thankful that I get to. But I didn't accomplish something for God. Do you know what accomplishes something for God? The work of Jesus on the cross. His declaration that I'm holy. His atonement for me. The, the, the atonement that they did was to point forward to the atonement that was coming when there was an actual propitiation, when Jesus Christ died on the cross for everybody. When, when there was an actual high priest who went in by the power of his own blood, Hebrew says, and it goes right into the presence of God, tearing the veil so that we could be in him before God. And it's all him. 
All of these things that said you haven't done it well enough and you won't, and let me remind you over and over and over. It's not so they would, so eventually they didn't need blood sacrifices. It was pointing forward to when the real sacrifice came. I know this because it happened. Right there between the altar and right there, the altar of incense. Let, 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 me, sh- let me show you this, just one piece. It's absolutely fabulous. So here, here it is. This is the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke. You remember that? When there's a priest in the line of Aaron and he's chosen to go in and to do incense at the altar. As things have happened now for thousands of years, at least a thousand. A thousand years, whenever the temple was there, they would go in, the priest would, and at this point it'd become by lot, and they would, they would be able to start the incense in the morning and the incense at night before the veil, and just in hope that their, their, their swaft of smell would go into the Holy of Holies. And right there, as he's doing that, comes the purpose for them having done it for a thousand years. The whole multitude of the people at the hour praying and the hour of incense, and there appeared to, you know, this is Zechariah. Zacharias. There appeared to him an angel of Yahweh standing at the right side of the altar of incense. The day came. Over and over and over and over and over. And it doesn't seem like anything's happening and nothing's going on. And But just like prayer, and there's just over and over. You're doing this seemingly meaningless thing, and you just keep doing it and doing it, and day in and day out, and generation by generation. And then finally one day came everything that it pointed to, where the angel appeared right there in front of the presence of God. And the angel appears and says what? A Savior's coming. Your son, his name's John, or will be John. He's coming and he's going to declare to people a baptism for the repentance of their sins, right? They're going to repent. They're going to say, oh, forgiveness is really coming. Not the blood of bulls and goats. The the actual wonder of salvation is here. What was the word again? Your son will announce it. What's the announcement? You need to repent. I'm going to move. It's not going to be any of your work. It's not going to be anything you do. It's you saying, I don't deserve it. And me saying, I've got you. That's the whole message. And it happened right there in Luke's gospel as as Zechariah said, oh, he's going to declare the coming of salvation. The sunrise is upon us. And he's talking about the coming of Jesus and John who would go before saying the whole message has been humble yourself because I, God, I'm going to save you. This is our life. This is the reference that we live under. This is what impacts everything about you is this this fragrant incense of Christ, as Corinthians says, that this reality that you and I say, it's nothing about me. It's all about what Jesus has done. Full stop. That, that's it. Get ready. You've been futile for all this time, but actual salvation comes and you don't do what you should, but one comes who would make atonement so wide and so broad that anyone can come in. It will never be about, do I have the right view of homosexuality? Do I have the right view of abortion? Did I do the right things for the church? 
Did I clean up my life enough where God says, good job, Dax, you're way cleaner than Johnny over there. Sorry, Johnny, if you're here. (laughs) It'll never be about any of those things. It's always going to be, do you trust Jesus for you? Do you say, that's what I want. I want Jesus for me. I want Jesus because he's my only hope. And I know I had no hope and now I do because he died for me. This is the cleansing of our conscience and I'll end with this. This is what says, says, how much more will the blood of Christ, this is Hebrews, the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God. He's the perfect sacrifice, our great high priest. Purified our conscience from dead works, our fighting over the law to serve the living God. What's the service? It's the receiving of our Savior, who is everything. So would you take hope today, would you live life in light of this, that Jesus really has done it all? You can become a sweet aroma by not letting people pull you back into thinking, wow, it's really about all this stuff that you do. No, all that stuff you do and the rules that you make and the ways that you as society work, they all highlight your inability They point us to the reality that the veil has been torn and Jesus Christ has done it all for you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this Old Testament that we get to have and these ways in which you pointed forward to your son. And Lord, the incense. How we want to be, our prayers be sweet incense to you. We know it goes away quickly. We know we aren't, we're nothing, Lord. And you who are reality and who do great things and who saves us, Lord, we humble ourselves before you. We receive your son, we're grateful. We pray that your spirit might use us to bear fruit. And in every way, we just want you to be lifted high. In Jesus' name, amen.